Amen. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 18 through 22 again this week. This will be our last week in Ephesians 2. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Uh, So we're looking at Paul's letter about God and about God's people. It's about the church. Um, And in some ways, it's his best theological writing, his best devotional writing. In our verses uh, that we're looking at this morning, he talks about the church as a holy temple in the Lord. The church is a holy temple in the Lord. In the the Old Testament, the the temple was... um, it was always more than just a building. It was, uh, it was an idea. It was a symbol. Uh, it was a real symbol. Obviously, the temple was a real place where, um, where God's presence dwelt among his people, but it was always pointing to something beyond itself. It was always pointing to a greater reality. And that reality, Paul says, is God's presence dwelling in the church. God's presence dwelling in in the church that is among his people in and through their relationships. Uh, That's what the temple was always pointing to. So even though the Old Testament temple is uh, pretty far removed from our daily experience, not only are we generally unfamiliar with what the Old Testament says about the temple, uh, we're a couple thousand years removed from it um, as being part of our regular lives. The, The New Testament understanding of the church as the temple of, uh, as the temple of God in Christ, a holy temple, it should actually shape our lives tremendously. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, mostly kind of the second half, uh, the, the last part of this uh, paragraph. So let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we come to you and we ask for your help that we would be able to understand your word, but not just understand it, that we would... Um, Uh, find it hopeful and encouraging and life-giving and transforming that your word, especially your word about Christ in the gospel, uh, would renew our lives, that you would transform our minds and our hearts, that we would uh, experience renewal in our relationship with you and with each other, and even in uh, the mission to which you've called us as your church in this world. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, temple. Backing all the way up to the beginning, uh, to the early chapters of Genesis, we get the idea, actually in the first two chapters, we get the idea that the, the world was originally created to be a temple, right? to be a dwelling place for God, a house, if you will, uh, his home, where he would meet and live with his people. That's what a temple is. And the whole world was created to be that. Genesis 1 sees God creating all things. He first creates the realms. And then the inhabitants of those realms, culminating in the creation of humanity in God's image as those who are called to live together with him in this world. Genesis 2 sees God planting a garden in Eden. He's taking what he's made and he's making it better. He's making it a better place um, to, uh, to dwell with his people. <clears throat> and he places humanity there to cultivate the garden, to continue to make it better, and to extend it. You get the idea that really this garden was uh, originally intended, and humanity, as the, the, the inhabitants of the garden, those who are dwelling with God there, um, to take it out to the four corners of the earth. Right? This garden, this garden temple, this beautiful place where God dwells with his people, humanity is called to participate in the building of it. Humanity is called to participate in the building of the cosmic, ultimate temple, this good, beautiful place where God lives with his people. Genesis 3 sees humanity reject God, reject that plan, so we were banished from God's life-giving presence in the garden. That's the worst part of being cast out of the garden. It's not you don't get a pleasant place to live and fruits to eat, just for the taking, it's, uh, it's because God was there, his life-giving presence was there, and now we don't have access to that anymore. We're not dwelling with him. This, the place where we live is no longer the temple. Right? We're not part of that anymore. And cherubim, these angels, or whatever, they're cherubim, uh, are set up to guard the way back to the tree of life, which is the first version of that kind of most holy place in the center of the garden where you go to meet with God and, and experience his life-giving presence, right? The cherubim are set up to say, you're not welcome here anymore. You can't come in. Um, and it's death to those who do, who try. And since that time, God tells us that humanity's greatest need has been to get back there, to get back into God's presence, to return to his life-giving presence, to get back to the place where God dwells with his people, a place that would be made good and made beautiful, actually through human participation, right? Human activity is part of the building of this temple. We've got to get back to that, right? So God was at work among his chosen people. Of all the nations in the world, he chose out this one little family, Abraham's family, and they became a nation. <clears throat> He's at work among all the nations, uh, through his chosen people to bless all the nations, to bless all peoples, actually, to, to extend his glorious life-giving presence over the whole world, once again. 
It was his original plan. And he's going to do it through this one family. And at first you get meager glimpses of it, little meeting places where God visits this family, right? He visits Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, and uh, they set up a rock or some kind of little altar to commemorate his presence, to commemorate his visiting and decorate those spots, right? Make it something that it wasn't before. This little desert area is now going to have a little stone altar there. It's going to be a beautiful little trinket uh, to remind them of God's presence, to remind them of his faithfulness in spite of their sin, right? in spite of their rebellion. And then when God creates this new nation, Israel, he del- delivers them out of Egypt, right? Uh, and he um, meets with them on Mount Sinai. You get the instructions for, and you get the, the production of this, this tabernacle, right? This is a new thing, this tabernacle. It's a bigger kind of a monument. It's a bigger, it's, it's almost like a temple again, right? Uh, it's relatively temporary. It moves around, but really you get detailed instructions for how Moses and for Israel, for Israel to, um, in Exodus 25 and following, to, to build this tabernacle, right? which is kind of a picture of God dwelling with his people, and it's a picture of that temple. Uh, it's where God is going to be among his people. It would be a place that was made beautiful by skilled human workers, right? If you take the fine twisted linen and needlework embroidery and uh, yarns of blue and purple and scarlet, which are beautiful, expensive things at that time, and uh, furniture made of gold or wood that's overlaid with gold and it's decorative, and at the heart of it would be God's own presence. His own presence over the ark, guarded by the cherubim. Um, and he would dwell there. He would dwell there in the midst of his people. All the nation, were, they were camping right around this. The heart of it, the center of it, was this tabernacle. This kind of mini temporary mobile temple. Um, and, and he's dwelling there among God's people. Even though very few priests would actually even be allowed to enter after a Leviticus full book of detailed instructions on ritual purification, right? Uh, you don't just walk in willy-nilly, right? This thing is not open to everybody yet. And, um, and there was this veil that they made. The skilled workers made it. They embroidered in the blue and purple and scarlet yarns. Um, they embroidered cherubim on this veil, as you go into the temple, you can't go into the most holy place because it's blocked by the cherubim who are on this veil, this heavy curtain, right? <clears throat> Later, uh, as things get bigger, um, King Solomon, right? The nation of Israel is settled in. They've got kings now. David, pretty good king. Uh, Solomon, yeah, yeah, he's going to build a temple. He builds this grand, permanent temple building. And in Second Chronicles 6, as he's dedicating the temple and he's praying, and he's blessing the people, he's praying for uh, this temple to be uh, what it's supposed to be, he, he prays this way, will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do 
according to all for which the foreigner calls you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. So this temple is meant to be a place, not just for Israel as a meeting place for the special insiders that we get to enjoy God's presence. It's meant to be a place where the whole world can see what God is like and come into his presence and be welcome there. Right? Um, later, <clears throat> Solomon's temple is destroyed when Babylon invades Israel, which God allows because of the persistent refusal of his people to participate in the intended purpose of the temple. They're the chosen people of God in order to extend the love of God and the glory of God everywhere they go. And they don't do it. And so Babylon comes in and takes them into captivity and destroys that temple. And during that time, Ezekiel, who's one of the prophets, has a vision of God's glory, his presence, his life-giving presence that is among the people departing the temple. That's Ezekiel's vision. God goes away from it. Uh, Yet, a renewed temple, this is part of Ezekiel's vision, a renewed temple is created that will extend God's life-giving presence out to the whole world. It's made explicit in Ezekiel's vision to all the ends of the earth. And in his vision, as he's kind of walking through this great temple, he sees, uh, he sees pictures of palm trees all over the place. It's kind of a standout feature. He sees them on the door jams as you're going in, and he sees them on the doors and the walls of the, the holy place on the inside. Right? He sees these palm trees everywhere, um, palm trees that are surrounded and guarded by cherubim, <laughs> scary cherubim with faces of men and lions. Right? Uh, that palm tree, just, just like the cherubim who are guarding the way to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, right? the most holy place, that do- divine oasis that we've got to get back to if we're going to live, if we're going to truly live. Uh, we need to be in God's presence. And that garden being the original version of the temple, that's what's pictured here in this temple with the palm trees guarded by the cherubim. Right? Um, and eventually, God delivered his people from captivity in Babylon, and they came back, and they rebuilt, rebuilt the temple. Uh, humanity participated in some sense in rebuilding that temple, but Israel continued in their sin, right? They continued in their rebellion. Over and over again, he'd made a new humanity. Here's a new humanity. They're going to participate in my temple construction project to extend my life-giving presence to the ends of the earth. They're going to do it this time. This new humanity is going to do it. This new humanity. Now, this time, they're going to do it. Um, A new humanity for the rest of humanity. A chosen people to help all the peoples connect to God and to come back into his presence. But Israel refused to participate in God's plan to bless all humanity, to help build a temple that extended over uh, to the whole world, uh, they felt themselves superior to the Gentiles. Now, this is the time of Christ, and we've got it recorded for us. They felt themselves superior to the nations, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the aliens. And they used the temple to exclude them. They used actually what God had set up to include. They used that to exclude 
uh, other people. And, um, and so they set up a wall. They built this temple. <clears throat> it's got a huge outer court, and there's a wall that uh, prevents people from the outer court from going to the inner court. People who could go in the outer court, they were the Gentiles, the nations. Yeah, they could come into the temple in this big area over here, but there's this wall set up where now only the Israelites can go in, right? And then only the, um, the priests can go in further than that. But this, uh, this wall that divides the outer court and the intersections where only the Jews could go, there was a sign that said, whoever is arrested will be himself responsible for his death, which will follow. So if you're a Gentile, you can't go in. We're going to keep you out um, with this this dividing wall. And and then, to make things worse, this huge outer court where the Gentiles, it was the closest they could get to God's presence. Um, The Jews flooded the outer court with merchants, effectively uh, banishing the Gentiles from God's life-giving presence, which went straight against God's expressly uh, stated purpose for the temple. Right? He says that um, in our Old Testament reading that John read in Isaiah 56, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples. So the temple is God's house. It's God's dwelling place with humanity, and his plan is for, is for it to be an open house. It's an open house. A place where all are welcome. A place that humanity is meant to help build, right? And create and expand until people from every tribe and nation and language are in it are blessed. That plan didn't work for us. We'd rather build houses for our own glory than participate in doing what God wants to do and take his love out. Not just be the recipients of it, but be the conduits of it. So after several versions of this temple and after several versions of new humanity that's meant to bless all humanity, God sent his son the word of God himself into the world as a human. And John says in his gospel, John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. So Jesus in himself, in his person, He is God dwelling with man. That's his other name, Emmanuel, right? God with us. Um, He's the true temple that we've always needed. He's the true temple that we've always needed, God himself among us, and he's also the true human who would finally participate in God's plan to extend his life-giving presence into the whole world. Everywhere he went, everyone he talked with, he took God's presence with him, And he blessed others with it. It's this mobile temple, right? God tabernacling among his people. And Jesus walked into the temple, the the physical structure in Jerusalem, where the Jews were betraying their purpose by uh, excluding the Gentiles. And he reprimanded them. And he said in Mark 11, 
Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And he talked to all the people saying, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. These guys are the builders. They're supposed to be participating in God's temple plan. And they're rejecting the very one who has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is, uh, maybe we don't use it too much anymore in our architecture, uh, engineering, I don't know. The cornerstone is the most important stone. If you take a, um, a building like the temple, which, if, I don't know, I've never been there, but I've heard it's amazing, it's huge. Some of you I know have been to the temple in Jerusalem, and there's still parts of this foundation where these stones are just massive and weigh several tons each. And the most important one is the first one that you put down. And it's in the corner, and you make sure it's perfect so that as you build the foundation out from it in every direction, you can use it to measure everything, and everything's going to line up right because this stone is done right. right? This is the cornerstone. This is the beginning of uh, the temple. It's the most important. It's the first in the foundation. It's made, meant to give you a lie, a line, a measuring line, to be able to measure up the rest of the Everything else is going to kind of fall in line with this stone, right? And be like it and be part of the, the, the structure. And, um, and the Jews, who were the supposed builders of the temple, they sought to arrest Jesus, who's the cornerstone. And uh, they had a mock trial, and they crucified him, and they murdered him. How's that for rejection of the cornerstone? But it's in his sacrifice, actually, that he reconciled us to God. It's actually in his sacrifice that he became the cornerstone of the new temple, a temple built without hands, built by God, yet also built by him, the perfect human. Right? Christ became homeless to give us a home in the house of the Lord. Um, and when he died on the cross, it's written in the Gospels that inside the temple, that heavy curtain, that veil, where you've got pictured on it uh, the cherubim guarding the way to the tree of life, that was torn in two from top to bottom. That means God's the one who did it because it would have been impossible for any humans to tear this like 10-inch thick curtain, whatever it was, in two from the top. It's pretty tall. Uh, God tore it in two, which is to say now God's presence is accessible to everybody. And in fact, God isn't just in that most holy place in that room anymore. God moved out. God departed that temple to enter into his new, renewed temple, to be among his people. And in Christ now, if your faith is in Christ, you have access to God the Father. You have the life-giving presence of God. Through him, it says in our text, through him, we both, that is uh, to say Jews and Gentiles, that is to say pretty much anybody, right? Anybody that you can think of through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. In him, people from every tribe, language, and nation are welcome home into the, the open house, right? 
So then, Paul says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're not just welcomed back as kind of citizens of a kingdom. We're not even just welcomed back as you know, family members in God's own household, which is amazing. But we're welcomed back as living stones in his temple in which God dwells. Right? Um, we're not just invited to live in proximity to God. We're not just invited to live near God, really close to God. God lives in us, and we in him, together, as the new temple. Right? That's us. Um, Paul continues, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the foundation for the temple is the gospel. The foundation for the temple is the revelation of the gospel that's proclaimed by the apostles and prophets. Christ himself is the chief cornerstone without which there would be no foundation, no temple. And as he is the cornerstone, he's the pattern for this thing. And so um, without him, uh, we'd still just be the old sinful humanity, not a new humanity. Not new humanity as it's meant to participate in the building of this temple, Uh, We'd be the old sinful humanity without him refusing to participate in God's plan to love the world, to extend his glory to everybody. But with Christ, in Christ, it says, even people like us are made new. We're made able to do what the temple was always meant to do, that is, share the life of God with the world. He says in verses 21 and 22, in him, in Christ, The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, really this is uh, better translated, I think, in him, even you, even you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God's plan for the temple has always been for his people to join him in building this thing and carrying his gracious love to others, and the temple is a place for worship. It's a place for meeting God, right? It's a place place for prayer and for communion together for all sorts of corporate activities. We're doing this together in God's life-giving presence, one of the most important of those being loving, hospitable evangelism. That's part of the temple project, is evangelism. This church, this temple, the house of the Lord, should be an open house. Should be an open house. If it weren't an open house, you wouldn't be here. But even you are being built together into this holy temple. Even you. Does that even you? Like, does that really strike you if it weren't an open house deliberately on God's part? You wouldn't be here. It's only by the extreme grace of Christ, his self-sacrifice for you, that you were made to fit as one of the living stones in this place. It's only by his grace. So not only do you have no grounds to exclude other people, um, but in fact, if you're shaped by Christ, you know, if you're part of that temple that, I mean, he's the cornerstone and he gives it its shape and you can measure it out by him and everything's supposed to fall in line with him and he's the pattern for this building that we are, this living building, this living temple. If you are shaped by Christ, then it should be your greatest delight to participate in the temple building. It really will be.
if you're shaped by Christ. So do you have friends that you talk with about the gospel, that you talk with about uh, Jesus? Do you get together with other Christians and invite non-Christians to come and see? It's the same thing as, as uh, when maybe ancient Israel, a Jew, would bring a Gentile and say, check out this temple. Isn't it amazing? This is where God is with us. Right? It's the same thing as doing that, getting together with Christians and inviting, other, inviting non-Christians to join you. Right? Uh, are you engaging with your fellow Christians in such a way and, and uh, to a degree that it might actually become a, a hauntingly beautiful thing for non-Christians to see? When they see that you're a holy temple in the Lord and God is dwelling among you in your relationships with each other as Christians in this house. You know? That's the thing that non-Christians are to be invited into and to be captivated by. Is that uh, becoming more beautiful uh, among you, your relationships um, of love? Is it an otherworldly love that, uh, like, like someone walking into a vast cathedral and being impressed by it? When, um, when non-Christians see your relationships in the church, is it something hauntingly beautiful to them? It's otherworldly. It's where God is. Are they seeing that? Are they being invited in? Do you have friends that you invite to church? Um, do you have friends that you're just praying for? That God would extend his life-giving presence to them? So that maybe you're praying for opportunities to be able to participate in that temple building project to be able to welcome them in. God has welcomed us into his home freely. It's an open house. Uh, as a gift of his grace and that kind of acceptance, we realize we're integrated into this thing that God is doing uh, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we deserve. That kind of acceptance makes us the kind of people who are a holy dwelling place for God by the Spirit, taking the gospel everywhere we go. Let me close with... Uh, a little bit from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are all those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would... Uh, inject your gospel into our hearts and your grace and your love toward us and toward the whole world, inject it into our hearts in such a way that makes us the kind of people who go forth from here with joy and gladness to be your temple, not just to dwell in your temple, but to be your temple together. Would you make it so that as we go through the deserts of this life and in this world where uh, it's primarily characterized by people not knowing you, that, um, that we would make it springs, that we would bring to life the rest of this world wherever we go because your spirit is in us and your love uh, knits us together in such a way that people would see it and they would know who you are, they would know your work, 
among us. They would know Jesus Christ himself, that he was sent by you, and that we can have a real relationship with you that renews everything in our lives. We pray that uh, you would make us the kind of people who carry this good news forth in our love for you, in our love for each other, and as we extend your love to all those around us. We pray that you would uh, enable us to truly and delightfully participate in your temple building project. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.